everybody we are live this is the Ruben report direct message and boy oh boy you know on Thursday when I said goodbye to you guys because we're doing this show on Tuesdays Wednesdays and Thursdays um, I didn't realize that the president was gonna get coronavirus then apparently beat coronavirus everybody was gonna have a meltdown about the whole thing and a whole bunch of other stuff was gonna happen now I probably should have realized that that was going to happen or something of that magnitude was going to happen because it does seem that every day gets more bizarre and there's no news that is too crazy than the day before. But literally, I mean, the president getting coronavirus uh, and then already being back at the White House. I mean, I was I was here on Thursday, right? It's only Tuesday, like just bananas. So obviously, we're going to mostly be talking about Trump and coronavirus. And is he immune, as he implied? And what happened? And, and perhaps more than anything else, what we'll focus on is just the absolute journalist implosion that was happening on Twitter and elsewhere. I mean, these people who are supposed to be impartial, who are supposed to defend the truth, who are supposed to help us navigate through the morass of insanity. And it's like, yeah, you guys failed. I mean, just watching people have absolute nervous breakdowns, which it's very important, by the way, that I say right now that uh, Jennifer Rubin at the Washington Post, she spells it R-U-B-I-N, but uh, as I have had to tweet out many, many times, and she was one of the ones having the biggest sort of mental breakdown over the Trump thing, and then what was happening at Walter Reed, and then he went in a car with people, and then he got in a helicopter and everything else. We are not related. I I've done 23andMe. I've done Ancestry. I could hire private investigators, I suppose. I've been to big family things. Uh, on my dad's side, the Rubin side of the family, we used to do this, uh, this giant cousin club thing. I'd meet hundreds of people you know, that I'd see once a year. She was never there. As far as I can tell, there is no relation. And I just it's very important that I put that out there because uh, there's a rumor going around online that she's my sister. And it's, it's starting to cause my sister to have my actual sister, to have anxiety issues. So no, she's not my sister. We are not related. Uh, and you know, as I tweeted out the other day, I may have to fight Jennifer Rubin in a uh, Thunderdome type situation. Two Rubens enter, one Rubin leaves, and whoever survives gets to keep the Rubin name because this is, this is just a mess. Anyway, so we're gonna talk about uh, Trump and a couple other people at the White House uh, getting coronavirus. Trump is obviously back already. We're gonna play a little bit of the video when he returned and just the, the mental breakdown that so many journalists and other people were having. And then I wanna do two other stories for you that I, I thought were interesting. One of them's uh, kind of personal to me uh, and it sort of went underreported. I actually only saw this on Breitbart. Maybe it made it to somewhere else. Uh, but Larry Elder, you guys all know Larry Elder. Larry was so integral as uh, a huge piece of my political awakening. You know, there's, there's the moment that you guys have probably all seen, and I wrote about it in Don't Burn This Book when I talked about systemic racism, and I was just sort of a factory settings lefty at the time. And Larry Elder just beat me senseless. Well, Larry Elder has been appointed to the Trump administration. He's now going to be working with the White House. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that. We're going to throw to the old Larry Elder clip because I know you people love seeing me beaten senseless. 
Uh, and then finally, here in California, um, as if things aren't going poorly enough, Gavin Newsom, uh, a man who is much better at getting haircuts than he is at governing, um, he has put forth a policy that he'll, he's hoping to get passed, which, uh, which would leave the rest of us paying for reparations. Well, I guess he would be paying for reparations too. Um, I never owned slaves. Nobody in my family owned slaves. A lot of my ancestors were pogromed and holocausted throughout the world. I don't see why I should have to pay reparations. I don't see why anyone should have to pay reparations, unless you, if you currently own a slave, um, then you should probably have to pay reparations. Um, but I don't think anyone's guilty for their father's sins, or certainly not for their grandfather's sins, or generations way, 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 way back. Uh, so we will dissect that as well. Uh, but before we get to it, people, I want to talk to you about second thoughts. Uh, I mentioned second thoughts last week. So first off, uh, the guys who created this board game, they're, they're fans of the show. And one of the ways you guys can help fight the mob is by supporting things that, you know, support the things that you like. So we actually played Second Thoughts. It's, it's a really, really fun party game. And it's sure to be a hit for your friends and family on game night. The play of the game calls for each item to be quickly, each team to quickly create a list of words for their opponents to decipher, leading to hilarious bepuzzlement and laughter. Simply put, it's a classic word guessing game with a unique twist that allows players to personalize their content with their voluminous sense of word smithery or just their witty and warped imaginations. Each round of second thoughts is a hilarious high-speed attempt to stump the other team. Both teams create a list of five things using the letters revealed from their colored dice. Be witty and wise, but don't take too long because time is not on your side. The amount of time it takes your team to create the list is exactly how much time your opponents get to guess them. Second thoughts, the quick thinking versus fast talking. Did I get it right there? There we go. Uh, verse Fast Talking Party Game. Get yours today at secondthoughtsthegame.com. That's secondthoughtsthegame.com. Or at your local Target store. And now back to me, doing the show. Hello, here I am. Okay, so let's talk about Trump and coronavirus. So a couple days ago, I was suddenly, I was sitting there. I was actually watching Seinfeld on Hulu. That's pretty much all I'm watching these days. It's just like a lot of crap coming out of Hollywood. So I just watch the same, I literally watch the same stuff that I watched in 1989. I watch The Golden Girls and Seinfeld and The Simpsons. That's pretty much it. Um, although I did watch um, uh, Raised by Wolves on HBO Max. Did any of you guys watch that? It's a really interesting sort of sci-fi uh, show by, um, what's his name? Who did Alien? It's by the guy that did Alien, whatever his name is. I'm blanking on his name for a second. Um, and uh, and there's, it's an interesting thing about going to another planet and, and a war that was started between uh, atheists and believers, the whole thing. Uh, I do watch that. But anyway, I'm sitting there and I'm watching Seinfeld and next thing you know, my phone is blowing up and everyone's going, Trump's got Corona, Trump's got Corona, Trump's got Corona. I thought, all right, this can't be real. It's gotta be a hoax or something. I go on Twitter, I see the tweet by the president. He's got the Corona. So let's just talk about um, a little bit of just, before we get to the reaction part, let me just talk a little bit about the fact that he, he got COVID, Corona, whatever you want to call it at this point. Um, look, the guy's been out there. He's been doing rallies. Um, he's not a big fan of the mask. Uh, from what I understand at his rallies, they, they take your temperature and then masks are voluntary. Usually when you see videos, most people are wearing masks. Um, as we know from the information we've gotten from the CDC and the WHO and from Dr. Fauci and everything else, it's like 
Sometimes people say the masks work, sometimes they don't work, et cetera, et cetera. I think it is a wise move if you're going to be in a crowd to wear a mask. Um, unfortunately, you know, I, I've been telling you guys how I think really what's happening right now is that we're in a reality war. And partly is we don't, we don't trust our experts anymore. And part of the reason for that is, well, I could directly connect this to, to so much of the media, but we don't really trust our experts because people say, oh, wear a mask, then they say don't wear a mask, then they say stand six feet, then they say it doesn't matter six feet. Then they tell you when you see masses of people rioting and, and protesting, you know, the Black Lives Matter crew and the Antifa crew, they tell you, oh, it's fine that they're out there, and then they'll show you a Trump rally and say it's a super spreader event. So like everything has just been sort of left to our own devices. And, and in a weird way, I, I actually don't think that that in and of itself is that terrible. I think you have to make decisions for yourself and for your family, and especially if you're a parent for your children or even if you have elderly parents. I mean, you have to make decisions in your life to go about living your life. The idea that just because a politician tells you this is exactly what we're gonna do and that's exactly what's gonna keep you safe. Again, these were the same people who back in March said, oh, we need two weeks um, to flatten the curve, remember? And then we did flatten the curve and now we're in, you know, what, month six, month seven of endless lockdowns and everything else. I saw a, quite a spectacular thing that the, the local, the California state government put out, which is a guideline, and they used a fancy infographic. You've got to have a fancy infographic. They put a fancy infographic, and they said, if you go out to eat with your family, you should uh, eat, meaning you should chew, then when you're done, put the mask back on, wait a little bit, and then you should take the mask off and chew again. I mean, while you're with your family at a restaurant. It's, it's all bananas. There's no science behind any of that. And I'm not sitting here saying that it's a hoax or anything else. Um, but I think partly the, the conflicting information we're getting on all this stuff is, is part of the problem. So in any event, Trump announces that he has coronavirus. And surprise, surprise, the, the litany of, of blue check people on Twitter that were wishing him death and, and this is karma and thank God that it's going to happen. And then just like the endless conspiracy theories, he doesn't really have it, he gave, or he gave it to himself for sympathy, like just the endless stuff. And, and, you know, they're always saying that people on the right are conspiracy theorists, they don't believe in science, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was just, just all sorts of banana stuff. There were a couple people um, on the left, um, I think Tulsi Gabbard was probably the best one, who really sent out a tweet that seemed genuine and, and full of uh, sympathy and wishing the president well. Uh, but you know, there were there were a bunch from from mainstream politicians that they don't they don't read as true because when they're being sympathetic. Because if you run around, I, I don't know how many times I have to say this, but I, it's bears repeating. If you run around calling someone Hitler, let, let's pretend. Let's pretend for a second, and we have to pretend because I don't even think they believe it, but let's pretend for a second that all the people who believe that Trump is Hitler, let's pretend that they believe it, okay? They don't, but let's just pretend it. Well, if they actually believed it, if you found out, if this is 1941 Germany, and you found out that Trump, or that Hitler, in effect, had a uh, potentially lethal disease, you would be pretty freaking thrilled. You wouldn't be sending out disingenuous tweets saying, oh, I hope he gets better. You'd be sending out, oh, I, I hope he dies. Now, a lot of people did the I hope he dies and he's getting what he deserved thing. But when you see these people, I saw, like Rachel Maddow tweeted out a thing, you know, basically a sympathetic whatever. And it's like, yeah, that is nice. I'm like, I suppose that's nice. 
this is also someone who for years was pushing a Russia conspiracy on the president, who spread misinformation about the president, um, and who routinely calls him racist and a white supremacist and the rest of it. So, you know, I get it. Every, everyone's playing their own little games related to all of this. Uh, anyway, Trump gets to Walter Reed Medical Center. Um, he actually did a video from Walter Reed where he wasn't as, as tan as usual, which then I saw a Vox reporter saying he must be even sicker than we thought because look what he looked like at the, uh, the debate a few days ago versus look, look what he looks like now. Obviously, this person has never heard of self-tanner or whatever it is that Trump uses. Uh, there's also something called makeup. Uh, you're not going to believe this, guys, but before we do this little show here, uh, the little Dave Rubin show, uh, my guy whacks me in the head with a little powder. All it does is get rid of the shine, but people on camera usually put on makeup or powder or something like that. So obviously when you watch Trump, I mean, Trump's not denying that he's doing something to color him orange. Although at the debate, I thought he was a little more red than usual. Um, and then, you know, he's at the hospital and he's not in makeup, but the, he must be much sicker. It's like, man, you guys are just terrible. That, that was a Vox journalist, by the way. Doesn't matter who he is. Um, so look, Trump gave a, a little, little video talk there. He said, we're fighting it and uh, I'm, I'm feeling better already and that he was on some experimental stuff. So I want to find out more, and I think we will find out more over the next few weeks about what kind of experimental stuff he was on. Because if they were able to take this 74-year-old man who's obviously a bit overweight, doesn't have the greatest diet, right? Everyone knows he loves McDonald's and everything else. If they were able to take this guy and get him in and out this quickly, and, and all that, well, then we should probably know a little bit more about the experimental stuff. Anyway, a lot of people wishing him death. As I said before, my non-sister, Jennifer, Jennifer Rubin from the Washington Post, had a complete mental breakdown and that Walter Reed should be defunded. And then what Trump did was there were a lot of people that came out and uh, supported, you know, they, were, they basically had a rally outside of Walter Reed Medical Center. And uh, Trump actually got in a mask and he got in an SUV and he waved to people and they were very excited and then you know all the usual people oh he's going to spread it again and what about the people in the car and everything else but i thought masks work he was wearing a mask i mean everything again it doesn't really matter what side of this you all you all fall on or how effective you think masks are or social distancing or the rest of it you know the idea that the president was trying to be out there sending out a positive message that that just seems positive to me that's not even a pro trump rah rah thing it's like we all well, I can't say we all. Most sane people would like to know that their president is healthy, is fighting this thing, and that he went out there and, and you know, uh, helped the people that were out there supporting him, that he helped them feel good about what was going on, and then by extension, everyone watching. I, I think that's pretty good. Uh, anyway, he got back to the White House yesterday, which was quicker than most people thought, and then he, uh, he gave a talk. He gave a little talk up on a balcony and he took his mask off. People were very upset. But we're going to throw to the video of Trump and his message after having coronavirus. Let's go to the videotape. I just left Walter Reed Medical Center, and it's really something very special. The doctors, the nurses, the first responders, and I learned so much about coronavirus. And one thing that's for certain, don't let it dominate you. Don't be afraid of it. You're going to beat it. We have the best medical equipment. We have the best medicines, all developed recently. And you're going to beat it. I went. I didn't feel so good. 
And two days ago, I could have left two days ago. Two days ago, I felt great, like better than I have in a long time. I said just recently, better than 20 years ago. Don't let it dominate. Don't let it take over your lives. Don't let that happen. We're the greatest country in the world. We're going back. We're going back to work. We're going to be out front. As your leader, I had to do that. I knew there's danger to it, but I had to do it. I stood out front. I led. Nobody that's a leader would not do what I did. And I know there's a risk, there's a danger, but that's okay. And now I'm better, and maybe I'm immune. I don't know. But don't let it dominate your lives. Get out there. Be careful. We have the best medicines in the world, and it all happened very shortly, and they're all getting approved, and the vaccines are coming momentarily. Thank you very much. And Walter Reed, what a group of people. Thank you very much. All right, so that was President Trump on a balcony without a mask, and people were freaking out. There, there's an incredible video, actually, of a, uh, a CNN journalist where she sends out a tweet basically saying Trump's getting everyone sick, you know, he's around people with no masks, blah, blah, blah. And then somebody found a video of her in the White House press room where the second the spokesman gets off stage, she takes off her mask and she's with everyone else. So everyone's doing some level of of hypocrisy there. Anyway, I, I thought that Trump said a couple really interesting things. Uh, now, now, before I even get into what he said, they, they made this big sort of overly produced, almost like Michael Bay style video of the helicopter taking off and the helicopter landing and him walking and, and everything else. And, and you can say that's all theater um, or it's, it's designed to inspire people uh, or it's propaganda. You, you can say whatever you want about that. I, I don't have a problem with those things. And, and we know, of course, if Obama did the exact same thing, the media would love it. In this case, it's Trump, they hate it. Okay, that's fine. Uh, but he did say a couple interesting things. He said, don't let it dominate you, which I thought was interesting um, because you know there's such a culture of fear right now. And again, 200,000 people have died. This, is, this absolutely is not nothing. And as I said before, I think it's up to you to figure out the best way to go about your life. I think that the endless lockdowns there's a very famous restaurant in LA that's within walking distance of my house uh, that we just noticed closed the other day. Um, and it's been here for probably three decades, something like that. And it just closed. And for weeks, uh, when we drove by it, I've been saying how, how much longer can they stay open because they only have uh, you know, about six tables they can put outside. It's LA. You know, it's like you don't have a lot of space to work with. So it's like what restaurant could stay open when you can only feed about 12 people at a time? Nobody can. So it's up to everybody to decide whether they want to keep their restaurant or close it or how you want to treat your patrons if you have a restaurant or how you want to you know, treat your employees, what your, what your policies are. I would much rather put that back in the hands of the people. But I thought that the, the, the line, don't let it dominate you, um, was, was sort of interesting. Like we do need like to feel a little braver about this. Like we feel very fearful about everything. I feel like everyone's walking around we're fearing neighbors because of their different political beliefs. We're fearing that people are, are uh, you know, going to attack us. And, and it's just, we need to, to be something positive. Um, he also said that, that he took a risk, that there is a risk and that, you know, when he wasn't feeling well and that there was a risk when he went out and everything else. And that is true. And it's something that we don't talk about honestly about, uh, honestly enough, meaning that there's always risk. When you, when you walk outside of your house, and you go to get your mail, you could be hit by a car, right? Like a dog could bite you. 
you could be struck by lightning, a tree could fall out on your, fall on your head. I'm not trying to freak you out, but bad things happen, right? Like there is risk in life. When, when insurance companies give you an insurance plan, what they do is look at your age, your health, your habits, all of those things. That's what actuaries do. And they come up with a calculation and then, and then they say, well, this, is, this person, because of their behavior, their history, their family history, whatever, is more risky, so we have to charge them more money. Risk just exists. This idea that we can't do anything until there is no risk, that's risky. That's the risk that I'm worried about because we're giving up something that's very human, this, this idea that we're just slowing down the entire world. Um, he did say a sort of funny line. He said, possibly, I'm possibly immune to it, which of course everyone's latching onto that. That's just a standard Trump thing. Uh, you know, whatever. Is, is he immune to coronavirus? I mean, I suppose some people could be immune to it, but he was sick, so I'm not exactly sure how he could be immune. And then, and then this idea that he said, I'm your leader, and he said it more than once. And I can understand why certain people would hear that and say, oh, that, that sounds a little dictatorial. But the president is the leader, and I think that the president's sort of mapping, and I think this is what Trump is good at, the, the president's sort of mapping how we can all kind of move forward um, is good. So meaning, I'm the president, I'm your leader, I took the risk, and, and here I am, I'm better, you'll get better, let's try to open things up. I think it was it was all good. Anyway, we watched a lot of heads implode and everything else. But, uh, you know, I think, I think everything's going to be okay. And I actually think I'll just say one other thing and then we're going to move on to the next story. Um, I think one of the interesting things here is that, you know, Trump during the debate, and I said this while I was tweeting the debate, and I said this in my, in my posting about the debate, is that he was very jumpy and he wasn't that presidential. And it's one thing to be jumpy and, and attacking the moderator and everything else when you're, when you're the outsider, but when you're the president, and this is, this is gonna be tough for Trump, for sure. I think he has to be a little, more, a little more humble, a little more presidential in his presentation during the debates. And I suspect that after coronavirus, he's gonna have a little bit of that humility. So I, I think there's, there's a win in there uh, for Trump. And, and just generally one last thing on the media, you know, it's like, man, guys, you're supposed to report on things. You're supposed to, you know, he took off his mask on the balcony and Andrea Mitchell from NBC News, she posts the video of it and she says, or she posts an image of it and she said, I have no words. And it's like, he's standing on the balcony, balcony alone. And even if someone was behind him or there's a secret service person there and they have a mask, then it's okay. And if they're more than six feet, it's just like, I have no words. Like, I wonder, are you, are you a Democrat or, or a Republican, Andrea? I wonder. Anyway, uh, before we move on to the second story, uh, today's direct message is brought to you in part by Bowl and Branch Sheets. I love these sheets, people. They sent me some and they're spectacular. What do millions of Americans and three former U.S. presidents have in common? They all agree that Bowl and Branch Sheets are the softest and most comfortable pure organic cotton sheets on earth. Boland Branch Cotton is rain-fed, pesticide-free, and carries the highest organic certification. That's why it's so soft. And it is soft, I promise you it is soft, because they work with family-owned mills all over the world to expertly weave every set of Boland Branch sheets with the highest level of craft craftsmanship. It's quality you can feel the moment you open the box. I love my Boland Branch sheets. I'm telling you, these things are, people have sat in my bed. We've had people over, they've sat in the bed. You know, people say, oh, bed looks nice. They sit in the bed. They go, those are soft sheets. I think I just became Trump right there. Uh, and they sell directly to you guys. Bowl and Branch sheets start at just 160 bucks. They're $1,000 quality for a fraction of the price. 
Plus, you can sleep on them for a month absolutely risk-free. And right now, you'll get $50 off any sheet set at bowlandbranch.com. That's right, $50 off any sheet set at bowlandbranch.com. Just use promo code RUBIN, that's B-O-L-L and branch.com, promo code RUBIN for $50 off. Restrictions may apply. See bowlandbranch.com for details. And now back to the show. Hello, I'm back. Okay, I wanted to talk about uh, Larry Elder for a moment because Larry Elder, you guys all know Larry Elder. He is the conservative radio talk show host. Uh, he is the sage of South Central. And Larry, of course, has played an absolutely pivotal role in my political evolution, and we've become good friends. Uh, I'm going to throw to a clip real quick of Larry. Uh, many of you have seen this. We're just going to do a, a minor clip of this. I wrote about it in my book. But Larry was pivotal in my, in my political awakening. And uh, this clip is from about five years ago. I still considered myself a, a progressive and a lefty and the rest of it. And I brought up systemic racism while talking to Larry Elder. And Larry Elder was ready to talk about systemic racism with me. Here we go. So, but you wouldn't not acknowledge that there are some systemic issues. Give, give me an example. G tell me what you think the most systemic racist issue is. What is it? Well, I would say that because black people in most cases, in many cases, were descendants of slaves, that racism as, a, as an institution, that it just, a certain amount of it just exists. In 2015? I, it, it, give me the most blatant racist example you can come up with right now. Um, I think you could probably find evidence that in general, cops are that, that cops are more willing to shoot if the uh, perpetrator is black What's your data than for, white. What's your basis for saying that? Last year... The, well, look, I know a lot of people would say, look what's going on in Chicago. I, I, right? I know what they would say. Yeah. I'm talking about what the facts are. 965 people were shot by cops last, uh, last year and killed. 4% of them were white cops shooting unarmed blacks. In, in Chicago in 2011, 21 people were shot and killed by cops. Uh, in 2015, there were seven. Uh, in Chicago, which is a third black, a third white, and a third Hispanic, 70% of the homicides are black on black. Uh, about 40 per month, almost 500 uh, in the year, per year last year in Chicago, and 75% of them are unsolved. Where is the Black Lives Matter on that? The idea that a racist white cop uh, and shooting unarmed black people is a peril to black people is BS. It's yeah. complete and total BS. And, and the reason for these so-called activists saying this is the assumption that racism remains a major problem in America. The media, CNN, especially MSNBC, runs down whenever a black cop shoots somebody, uh, and, it, and it's a, some, some march on Washington. It's ridiculous. Uh, black people, half the homicides in this country are committed by and against black people. Last year, there were 14,000 homicides, not talking about suicides, I'm talking about homicides. Mm -hmm. Um, half of them were black, 96% of them black on black of that 7,000. Where's the Black, black Lives Matter people on that? Ah, oh, we were just kids. God, that feels like a long time ago. That was back in early 2014. So that's, uh, no, 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 not 2014. Sorry, that was early 2016. Um, so that's just over four years ago. I mean, it feels like an absolute, it feels like another life to me. And I'm thrilled that that was the beginning. Um, just one other thing on that story, and, and again, this is in my book, and I know you guys, many of you have heard this before, but right after that, we were at Aura TV at the time. It was before I was fully independent, and I went into the green room after that, the control room, and there were many producers there and things, and everyone said, oh, D Dave, don't worry, we can cut that, we'll edit it out, don't worry, and I don't know why I did it, 
But I said, no, if we're, if we're doing a real show, if we're doing something that's going to be true and honest and real, then, then we got to leave it in. And it was my best and worst moment at the exact same time. It was my best moment because I took the hit and I changed because of it. And it was my worst moment because I, I went to a gunfight with a guy that, that had better weapons than I did. Um, anyway, why am I talking about my friend Larry Elder? Well, he has been appointed to the Commission on the Social Status of Black Men and Boys by the administration. I only saw this reported by uh, Breitbart, but I just wanted to mention it because Larry is a great guy. He has been fighting the, the pernicious racism of the left and, and the myths that they sell you as true. And he's been doing it for decades. He is, um, he's been doing it alongside plenty of other great people. Uh, he's a protege, of course, of Thomas Sowell, who I've interviewed, and we're still working on getting that second interview going. There's just been some logistical stuff. Um, but, but Larry is a great guy. He's been talking about how the policies of big government, of handouts, have been destroying the black family, and that that then leads to crime and all sorts of other stuff. And for years, he's been called a, a, a coon and a sellout and an Uncle Tom and just the worst things possible by the very people who purport to be the tolerant ones. So I'm thrilled that, that he's gonna be part of the administration and that hopefully, um, you know, things that he's done that Candace Owens and Brandon Tatum have done with Blexit, I, I sense that, uh, that the black community is waking up. You know, if, you, if, if any community, remove race, remove anything else, if there's any group of people out there based on skin color or sexuality or gender or anything else, based on your immutable characteristics, if you vote 95% for one party year after year after year, well, they owe you nothing. And that's actually in many ways what the Democrats have done. They keep getting the black vote and then they do nothing for black people. And, and Trump has actually started to, to turn some of that stuff around. So hopefully Larry will be a big part of that. I think it's, uh, I think it's wonderful and I'm always happy to talk about my friend Larry Elder. Uh, we're just gonna do one more story for you. I know I'm running a little long today, uh, but here in California in the last couple of days, uh, Gavin Newsom, Governor Gavin Newsom, probably the worst governor in all of the union, although uh, Andrew Cuomo's a pretty close second. Um, he has signed a bill into law that will establish a task force to study and make rep uh, recommendations on reparations for slavery. Think about all of the things that, that are going on right now between COVID, a struggling economy, uh, the general state of our discourse, everything else. The idea, wait, uh, forget that, forget that idea for a second. I'll say it a different way. Our roads are crumbling here. There are homeless people all over the place. There are drugs on the streets. There are videos. I just saw one from last night, downtown LA, a mob of Antifa people just attacking stores and shutting down streets. We got a lot of real problems, and they're problems in 2020. And that is not to d dismiss or belittle uh, how horrific and absolutely awful slavery was. And it happened hundreds of years ago. We fought a war over it. Uh, as I keep saying, I don't know of another country that had slavery at, at its inception that got rid of slavery faster. If you know a country that did it faster than us, then please do let us know. Uh, we're insanely overtaxed here in California, and particularly Los Angeles and San Francisco. And yet, as I said, the roads are crumbling. It's not like our schools are good. The entire thing is mismanaged. But what Gavin Newsom has decided to focus on right now, of all things, is another way to tax us, to redistribute money. Like, it's actually crazy. And, and just a little bit on the, on the basic ideas of reparation. 
if, if reparations are so moral and they're so right and they're so good, what, what's stopping all of the people that support reparations from giving up their money voluntarily? And why not make a list? And we're the public good guys who voluntarily give money and then find some billionaires who, will, who are also the good guys. They're just great and they want to give money away and they want to do it voluntarily. They don't need the state to put the gun to your head to give away reparations. Money, that, that doesn't seem very moral. What, where are they? If this state is run by such good, great, progressive, tolerant, moral people, well, then you'd think that 80% of the state would just be voluntarily giving their money, right? And then you get billionaires to, to double or match funds or whatever it is. And yet that doesn't happen. They seem to think, like, how come Gavin Newsom, how much money have you given for reparations, you know? Um, this reminds me a little bit, a couple of years ago, I was at uh, Real Time with Bill Maher. I was sitting in the audience. And I've been, there, I've been there a few times. By the way, I don't even know that I've even said, I think I said this publicly once. I was supposed to be on real time for, for the book, and then it got canceled because of COVID. Um, and now it's like, I, I don't even know that I want to do it anymore. I think Bill and I could have an interesting conversation, but like, it just, that, that show is starting to feel irrelevant to me. Um, but anyway, I was, I was there, and they had Michael Eric Dyson on, who is a lefty, progressive uh, pundit, thinker, author, whatever you want to call it. And they were doing the, the uh, bonus segment, um, what do they call it, overtime segment, that's just for YouTube. And they're talking about reparations. And in essence, I'm not quoting this exactly, what, what he said is he's not personally for reparations, but that, you know, you should buy a computer. For, I think he said, for a young black brother. You should buy a computer. And I watched all of these liberals in the audience. I was particularly watching this woman in front of me. She was about 65 years old, you know, white liberal. And they're clapping. They're clapping like seals. Buy a computer for a young black brother. Buy a computer for them. And it's like, this, it's such a, a perfect example of what these people do. That woman didn't buy anyone a computer. Nobody in that audience bought anybody a computer or even a freaking iPad. Right? Like they just, oh, I applaud the right thing so that I feel good because I'm a seal. Can I have that piece of fish? Arr, arr, arr. That's what they do. And uh, that was a pretty decent impression of that woman. Um, and it's just like enough of this. So look, there are so many big problems that we have to deal with. This state is so absolutely mismanaged. No one in my family owns slaves. No ancestor that I have owns slaves. Uh, there were people in my family that have been uh, victims of pogroms, people in my family have been victims of the Holocaust, um, everyone that came to America. So wh what are we saying really? Like if you're an Irish immigrant and you move and your grandparents or great grandparents, whatever it is, moved here because they were trying to avoid famine or Italian immigrants that moved here with nothing and built something for themselves, did the American dream that now you should be punished um, just doesn't make any sense. But, but prove me wrong, progressives. Show me how moral you guys are. You guys are moral, you guys are good, everybody else is mean and greedy. So start doing it. Start a public voluntary reparations fund. Find a guilty lefty billionaire to, to match funds. I'm sure Bill Gates will do it, right? If these are important things, find some celebrities that'll do it and, and go ahead and do it. And not only that, because I know you guys love lists, you can have your list of good guys and then you can have a list of all of the bad people who won't give reparations and then you can say mean things about them like they're racist and the rest of it. That seems like a great idea. Oh, lordy, lordy. Okay, guys, I got a crazy day of interviews ahead of me. Um, I assume by the time I come back tomorrow, Trump will have gotten COVID again and then gotten rid of it again and God knows what else could happen. I hope you feel a little bit better about the news after watching this. 
Thanks for watching. Don't forget to subscribe, by the way, because we keep getting emails that people are still getting unsubscribed from our channel. So subscribe, click that notification bell. And if you want to communicate with me directly, it's, it's impossible to do, obviously, in the YouTube comment section. And Twitter is becoming even more difficult. Uh, join us at RubenReport.com. All right, everybody, have a great day, and I'll see you tomorrow.